Do you want to take a seat? No Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and they slapped him in the face. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, Take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priests answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, they divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. Well, in one month, the world will stop to see the coronation when Charles is crowned king. And we can count on the British to do what they do so well. Pomp, circumstance, and pageantry, a thousand details carefully orchestrated to highlight Charles as the new king. At one point, everyone who's packed into Westminster Abbey will cry out, God save the king, and they will hail Charles as the new king. Today, we are here to celebrate Jesus crowned king. But of course, we know most Australians won't. In fact, most Australians can't understand why they'd give up time on the long weekend to celebrate a crucified man. And to be honest, you read the story, you can understand why. Because, reading it with fresh eyes, point by point, what we're reading here, and perhaps it's obvious to everyone else except Christians, 
is that what happened to Jesus was not a coronation. It was an anti-coronation. It was a ghastly, weird reversal of what we will see when Charles is crowned king. It was the opposite. You think about what happens. Let's go through the details. Number one, Jesus' head was crowned, not with a crown of jewels, but with a crown of thorns. Secondly, at a coronation, the king is robed with dignity. Here, Jesus is robed in purple, in mockery. And then he's disrobed, leading him hanging naked and humiliated. Instead of people acclaiming him as king, the soldiers cry out in mockery, hail king of the Jews. It's a mock, it's a taunt. Number four, positive prophecies were spoken before ancient coronations, like when Julius Caesar ascended the throne. Jesus' authority was confirmed by four prophecies, but unlike the positive ones for Caesar, those prophecies for Jesus were all about his humiliation, his suffering, his death. Here are four Old Testament prophecies. They divided my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. I thirst. Not one of his bones will be broken. They will look on the one they have pierced. Number five, there was a royal parade, but instead of the king being carried proudly on a throne, which is what used to happen, Jesus, the king, had to carry his own cross, a symbol of shame. He went out bearing his own cross to the place of the skull. Number six, he is lifted not to a throne, of course, but to a cross. That was his throne. Number seven, instead of princes being seated at his right and his left, as would happen in another coronation, Jesus had criminals there. There they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between. Number eight, his coronation was witnessed not by the powerful, the world's leaders, as will happen with Charles, but by the powerless. Women, a lowly fisherman, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. Number nine, instead of being toasted with rich wine on his coronation, the king was given bitter vinegar. A jar of full of wine vinegar stood there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of hyssop and lifted it to Jesus' lips. Number 10, the king's title was proclaimed not on this noble plaque, but a scrap of parchment just nailed to the cross. And as was normal for a new king, it was proclaimed in languages for the nations so that they would all hear it. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. It was written in Aramaic, Latin, and in Greek. Number 11, at a coronation, the king will make his first appointments, but here the king didn't make appointments of ministers of state. Instead, his appointment was to John, please look after my mum. Here is your son, here is your mother. Number 12, the new king gave his first and yet final decree. It is finished. It wasn't the beginning of many decrees. Number 13, instead of raising his head up to receive a crown, he bowed his head down. Number 14, instead of being given honours, he himself gave 
He gave the only thing left to give because his freedom, his dignity had already been taken, so now he gave up his spirit. The final clue to the anti-coronation. At the end, the king was re-robed, not with purple silk, but with grave clothes. They took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Point by point by point, in the detail of what happened to Jesus, he went through an anti-coronation, a mockery. And no wonder why so many people on Good Friday puzzle about Christians who gather to acclaim Jesus King because what good is a crucified king, right? That's the question. The mocker's cry won't answer it. We have to hear from Jesus' cry, the king himself, his cry. Thank you, Karen. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished, and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Well, what good is a crucified king? Not much, because how can a crucified king do what a king is supposed to do? Well, that begs a question, doesn't it? I mean, what is a king supposed to do? (laughs) Charles's coronation raises that question. What does a living king today do? What's the job description for a king? In the ancient world, the king would fight your battles. He would be your champion defender. He would lead the charge against the attacking enemies. He would secure peace for for his kingdom. He would ensure that there was peace so that his people could flourish instead of being hauled off as someone else's slaves. That's what a king would do. At the cross, Jesus was that sort of king. He fought for us, not with a sword, but with something much more powerful, with his sinless life, which he gave in sacrifice, as an offering in our place. And what he was doing there was he was fighting against our biggest enemies, and he overcome. Now, of course, to get the lowdown on who those enemies are, we would have to reread the whole Old Testament. And let's, I mean, why not? Okay, I'll summarize for brevity's sake. So here they are, all right, ready? There is our sin. Our sin alive in each of us, our intuitive desire, drive to kick God off his throne and insert ourselves in that position. That's an enemy, sin. It's within. And then there is God's law. Now, God's law is good in itself, but for sinners, it exposes each of us as unclean because of our third enemy, guilt, our guilt. I'm not talking about our feelings of guilt, feeling, you know, feeling guilty, but our objective status before God as guilty because of the sins we've done. 
And then we have Satan who deceives us into sin and then when we do so, we, when we sin, he accuses us before God that we're worthy of our fifth enemy, death, which robs us, mocks our life's achievements and separates us from all that we hold dear. And then of course after that we have the final enemy, the judgment to come after death. They are enemies. And we are really in a pickle. For people who are made for relationship with God, those enemies need defeating. Now, who's going to do it? You are like, we can't find that battle. We need a king who can. Who is he? The soldier's cry declares Jesus as ridiculous. He's impotent. But what does Jesus' cry declare? Well, we read that Jesus, knowing everything had now been finished, cried out, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Jesus cried that when everything had been finished. Now it had been, he had done his work. He had left his father's throne, he had taken on human flesh, he had been born into our world as one of us. As one of us, he was tempted in every way that we have been tempted and tested, but he remained without sin. The only one. No one else has done this. And then at his greatest test, he had not run. He had faced the cross as his father had willed. He had fulfilled the prophecies, the plan. His enemies had done to him what was prophesied, but in a double move, he was there crucified, bearing sin's curse, life expiring. He was now in the spot where he could give his life as our ransom. And so knowing that all that had been finished, he cried out, it is finished. And with that, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, our king wins a great victory and he overcomes because point by point, when you think about it, he defeats every single one of our enemies, sin. At the cross, Jesus remains sinless, qualifying himself to be able to offer his life as a sin offering, pure and undefiled. Law, by Christ dying for us, he bore sin's curse, the curse of the law for us, guilt. Jesus' death removes our guilt. He enables everyone who accepts his death to be legally declared not guilty, righteous. Satan, by substituting for us, taking the punishment we deserve, Satan is totally disarmed. He is robbed of his power to accuse because Christ has already paid the punishment. So he is cast out of heaven's courts. Death. Jesus tastes death for us so that from, from now, for all who believe in him, death in its most terrible sense is abolished. Come back on Sunday, you'll hear more about that. Number six, judgment beyond death. By offering himself as our sacrifice of atonement, Jesus turns away the wrath of God once and for all. He removes that fear completely. You see what this means? It's finished. Maybe you're sitting there paralyzed by sin, that enemy. Maybe 
your deep view of yourself is that sin will always be your master, can only be your master. And that when all is said and done, actually it's you being a sinner that defines you. And all you are is a sinner condemned unclean. Will you hear Jesus cry? He says, it's finished. It's finished. Of the thought that you are never free from the law, because to you the only way to try and make up for your sin is to try harder, to do more, to obey more laws, to atone for your own sins, Jesus cries out, it is finished. You don't have to work for God's approval of the paralyzing fear that our guilt still stands and there's nothing that can be done to absolve you because how can your guilt be taken away except by you standing before God, being condemned and bearing the consequences yourself? Jesus says, guess what? For your guilt, it's finished. It's finished. Your fear of Satan, his power to accuse you at the cross, Jesus says, it's finished. I've taken it away of the scary thought that death is the end. Death will be the final fail to the exam of your life. At the cross, Jesus says, it's finished. To the prospect, terrifying, of eternal suffering beyond judgment, the inevitability of hell over heaven, Jesus declares, it is finished. That's Jesus' cry to us. You know, if you read the other gospel accounts, you know, and everything that he says at the cross, he says lots of things. He says them all to other people. We hear Jesus' prayer to his father. We hear him arranging with John the care of his mother. We hear Jesus' words of assurance to the man crucified beside him. You know, of everything Jesus says while he's on the cross that's been recorded, the only thing that he says to us is it is finished. And they are the only words said to us because they are the words that we need to hear, you see. The victory cry of our king who went into battle for us against our enemies who fought for us and through dying won. That's what it was. It is finished. Of course, the right response then is to turn from our sins, to turn to him, to give ourselves to him. And then we're going to consider the final cry. We've had the mockers, we've had his cry. I want to take you next to John's cry. John, who witnessed the events, who wrote this gospel. I want to take you to his cry, to a vision of where Jesus is crowned King of Kings. But before that, Ellis, would you come and lead us in a time of reflection and confession and then Beck will come up and pray. Well, having uh, heard Jesus' cry, we'll pause to give us each time to approach God's throne of grace openly confident that because of Jesus' work on the cross, all the sacrifice for sin has been paid. 
It is finished. So come together, uh, confess, pray, give thanks in your own heart and mind. Then after a minute or so, I'll lead us in a collective prayer of, uh, or collective confession and thanksgiving. So let's bow our heads for about a minute. From John 19.30, we read, When Jesus had received the drink, he, he said, Jesus said, It is finished. And from Isaiah 53, verses 5 to 6, Surely he took our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. So let us together say the words that appear on the screen. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, this Good Friday we kneel before the cross where Jesus' sacrifice for sins was made, full and complete, once and for all, we bring before you all our failures, all our weaknesses, all our fears, all our guilt. We confess with shame that our love for you has been half-hearted and inconsistent. Our love for others has been selfish and blind. Have mercy on us for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who himself cried, it is finished. We hear his cry and believe him. There is no more sacrifice to pay. It is finished. Our condemnation has been removed. It is finished. We are no longer your enemies. It is finished. Satan has lost his power to accuse. It is finished. We praise you for Good Friday. We praise you for Christ's sacrifice. We praise you for all you have achieved for us at the cross. Through your spirit, we praise you and your son, our wonderful King. Amen. From 1 John 4, 10 we read, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Together, finally, we praise you, Heavenly Father, that Jesus, our King, is coming. Amen. John. 
to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father, to him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. Okay, well, uh, Easter sermons really move, rarely move to Jesus' coming. But John, who was an eyewitness to Jesus' anti-coronation, was also a witness in a vision to what would one day happen when Jesus returns as king. And it seems appropriate that we finish with this. We heard the soldiers cry, and then Jesus cry, and now it's John's cry. A point-by-point answer to the mockery of Jesus at his anti-coronation. In John's vision of Jesus' return, the crown of thorns is gone. He will return as the king of all kings, the ruler of the kings of the earth. And Revelation 19 verse 12 said, on his head will be many crowns. Second, when, whereas Jesus was mockingly robed and then disrobed at his anti-coronation, he will return wearing a full-length royal robe with a golden sash around his chest. And also described in, in chapter 14, as this robe as having been dipped in blood because that is his victory, you see. Third, whereas the soldiers previously ridiculed him, when he returns, John says, those who pierced him, the soldiers, will mourn because of him. It will be the opposite. Number four, whereas prophecies had been of his humiliation and suffering, now we have a prophecy of his glorious triumphal return where he will be honoured for his death because he freed us from our sins by his blood. Number five, instead of Christ carrying his cross, the clouds of heaven will carry him on his return. Praise God. Number six, instead of the cross being his throne, when the Son of Man comes, he will take up his seat on his glorious throne. Praise God. Number seven, instead of having only criminals, instead of princes at his side, at the cross, at his anti-coronation, when he comes, he will come in his glory with all his holy angels with him. And the 24 elders will cast down their thrones, their golden golden crowns, sorry, before him. Number eight, whereas at the cross, Jesus' anti-coronation had only lowly witnesses, when he returns, John says, every eye will see him, all the peoples of the earth. Number nine, whereas the cross, at the cross, Jesus, all Jesus drank was wine vinegar. At his coming, if you're gonna talk about wine, there will be, first of all, the wine press of the fury of the wrath of God, followed by a glorious wedding banquet. 
Number 10, whereas Jesus' title as king was inscribed on a ridiculous parchment attached to the cross, the title King of Kings and Lord of Lords will be written on his robe and on his thigh. Revelation chapter 19, verse 16. Number 11, whereas at his enthronement at the cross, Jesus' kingly appointments were, um, yeah, were only to, his, to John and his mother. On his coming, of course, he shall judge each person, and of his servants, he will appoint them in charge of many cities. Number 12, whereas his pronouncement on the cross was singular, it is finished, it was his last one, and then he died at his coming, his judgments will be as many as there have ever been people who have ever lived. Number 13, instead of bowing his head and giving up, Psalm 110 verse 7 he shall lift, says he shall lift his head high because he shall reign following his victory. Number 14, instead of giving up his spirit, because that was all he had to give, when Jesus returns, he shall give honors and rewards to his faithful servants. Number 15, instead of being clothed in a burial cloth, he shall be clothed in splendor. His face, we're told, will be like the sun shining in all its brilliance. The coronation. An answer to his humiliation on Good Friday. At his coming, every eye will see him coming with the clouds. They will see him, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. They will see him and they will bow. Well, let's finish our reflection this Good Friday by acclaiming him with the words from John's cry. Together. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. 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 Please stand as we sing, It Was Finished Upon That Cross.